radio. Turn on the radio. My homie got a new show and it's time to play it's it though. Play I it hope you got in tune. Got he talking bigger business. Big he make a lot Welcome of moves. Welcome to the Startup Showcase. Scott I'm your host Scott Katoon. Thank you for joining us here on this. Uh, oh, it's a decent Saturday. I don't feel like this is a crazy winter. It's cold, but. Uh, but at least it's not snowing. So we've got a great show, as mentioned, uh, with Amy. Ricky Rigaldo is going to be uh, coming in and telling us a little bit about his journey. You know, I think ultimately um, one of the things that I am fascinated about in this story, and you probably should too, and this is something I, I kind of plugged, right? The 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 millennial, there's all kinds of things to be said about millennials, but they, they have a lot of random challenges. And one of them is a huge opportunity, but it's also kind of a challenge. And this is not exclusive to them by any stretch. It's to anyone who's got a family business is like how do you take that business and hand it off generation after generation? Because that to me, and we're going to talk a lot about this after the break with, with Ricky, but like you have the op- – and I, I know it's firsthand from having a business with friends. You have the ultimate opportunity to build a really cool business and, and grow it and have whatever was a legacy business turned into a very tech business. I was talking to a friend of my wife's yesterday who's got a business that was handed down from family, and it was a travel agency – and he's been able to like blow it up by going tech and landing massive clients because he recognized that for this to be successful in a changing market, he was going to need something different. And what goes along with that is like the family dynamic, right? You've got to figure out how to handle that, or in my case, friends, or in, in some other people's case. And this is the challenge, I think, of all challenges, is pre-existing employees who have been around for a long time, and there's a changing of the guard. And a lot of the reasons that people don't change before they leave or before they retire and hand it off to their, their son or the incumbent or whatever is this like feeling of letting people down. Like you've, you've got them this far and they've got their retirement on the line. They've got their careers on the line. But as an operator, you've got to like be smart and think like what's best for the business because yeah, obviously the employees are a huge part of it and everyone's a part of it. But like if the business goes under, then nobody wins. So, you know, you've got to be smart about it and figuring out like, when I have a family member, how do I set this up so expectations are very clear so that people don't meld their family drama into the into the work drama? And the same goes for those that aren't family that have just been there forever and it's like, well, listen, this is how your dad used to do it. It's like, well, I'm not my dad. You know, we do things differently. I'm I'm here to clean up and, and set up for the future and you've got to sort of play along with me and that to me at least is like is one of the biggest challenges and, and Ricky has a really interesting story because of just the the way that the company has grown and like he and his wife are involved and everybody's involved in this company is I don't know he'll talk about it it's like 20 people or something who work work on this in this company they're all related to one another which again I think is a huge advantage because you know each other so well and you have this ability to go deeper than just a couple of coworkers and I thought the same thing for me with friends I thought what could be better than 20 years of history as we go into this only I found out, and this is on me, I didn't set the table right. I, I, I just assumed that I'm very competitive and that on the on the whether it's a golf course or basketball court or whatever field or whatever I played in or, or gambled or whatever, I always had this thing of like, yeah, we're great friends except for when we're between the lines, in which case I just want to destroy you and you're not getting it. And so we're gonna have to figure that whole thing out and, and you know, I didn't set the table right, but I think Ricky has obviously, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about that. For all of you listening uh, who want to learn more about this and learn more about the podcast? We next week we're going to have uh, Katie Lynch from Codeverse is going to be the featured podcast. 
you can get that podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you want. But the easiest way to stay connected is is going to technor.com and, and signing up for the newsletter. Have all that stuff uh, sent directly to your inbox every morning about 8.30 on Tuesdays of the week. Uh, and so check it out. And uh, if you want to follow us on social and, and catch up with all of our all of our happenings and, and all of the equity crowdfunding opportunities that exist, you go to technori.com, you follow us on social at technori, or you can follow me at Katoon. We are going to come back after this break with Ricky. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Ricky, welcome to the show for starters. Um, I might say Regal, or Regalado, right? Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed See, it. I'm like, I can't read. I don't know what the deal is, <laughs> but I, I can't ever get the, the names, man. I can't ever get the names. Uh, so getroute.com, just to give you people listening a, a heads up, you can check this out. Um, before we get into your your the journey, because that's that's where we're here. We'll have you on the podcast and go all day long on how to build the business and all that stuff. Which, like I plugged before, you people should be listening to the podcast. If you enjoy hearing the the mumblings of these people during the show, the podcast is where the money's at. Because one, uh, you can say whatever you want. There's no there's no curse violations. There's nothing. You can just go go at it. Uh, but we have like all day to do it, and so highly recommend it, Ricky. I want you to give people the kind of the brief. I don't say brief history, but like. The what was the business and what is the business now kind of pitch? Like what is getroute.com when people go there? So GetRoute is a application, a software that's web-based and mobile. Um, and it's a solution for the building services industry, uh, but the services industry in a, in a nutshell, right? But our core competency right now is the janitorial space okay. uh, because of my existing business. Uh, I am a subject matter expert in that, in that case. So, but it is a solution for streamlining your sales. Um, it's digitizing the entire operations from start, which is the sale, to end, which is invoicing, yep. uh, and just really making it digital. I mean, it's a pen and paper industry, yes. you know, cleaning, maintenance. It's a very uh, hands-on, and you're, it, the people in the field are sometimes the people that are invoicing, are sometimes the people that are performing the sales, and they're doing the work. Yeah. So this is a way to kind of start working on your business instead of working in the business. Yeah, and obviously you probably know this. Like my partner, Mike Rodman, started SMS Assist, which is like the largest on the ah, planet of, of this whole thing. Huge. And so understanding that the majority of people out there that are operating their own one-man businesses basically are driving around in a van with a tag on the side of it, and it's just paper. <laughs> There's stuff just busting out of the windows because yeah. you don't have time to do all the work and then do all the paperwork, and that doesn't even include like getting the sales mm-hmm. or closing them out. So it, it, there's no doubt in my mind that that there's a need. And the, like we, we were talking to, uh, well, we had we had the sh- we had the the workshop with you there. And we were yeah. talking to Tariq, who's kind of doing a, not the same thing in any re- regard, but like a handy kind of the handyman closing the loop on that. Yeah, and, it, and there's it's a dense space. There's so many players in these spaces, but as he says, and, and as uh, my partner Mike says, like. For as long as there's people out there in these buildings, there's going to have to be people cleaning those buildings and taking care of all those things. And it's just, it's very immigrant driven, as you know. Yeah. And it's it's a job that most general Americans just don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And with that, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and like there's, you could have 1% of this market, which would be an insane, I don't even know if it's all SMS. Yeah. It's an insane amount. I mean, that's billions of dollars. That's how big the market is. So very cool. I understand uh, absolutely the need for for digitizing. It makes total sense, but there's more to your story. I think that that will be appreciated by the listener here, and that is the family dynamics. And you mentioned it before. Your subject matter expert in it because of your other business. Talk to me a little bit how these businesses come together and where the family element is. And like in your mind, what was the opportunity that you saw 
when you when you got involved in the family business, you're like this could be bigger. Mm-hmm. What what was that feeling like? So I mean, I you know, try not to have such a long story with it, but we first started six years ago. Uh, my wife, which was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we bought an existing franchise from my cousin. Okay. Uh, so and he wanted. You know, for more than a year, just at every family party, he was like, you know, I uh, we're going to be moving back to Mexico. I really want this to stay in the business. We worked so hard to, to get to where we're at. How long was that business up? He had it up and running for six years okay. himself. Yep. So then here we go, 2012. Yep. So uh, you're 12 years deep now. The, the, that, in, in, that franchise. Yeah, in, in, like in essence. His as a business was, was six years in existence. Uh, Marley quit her job uh, for two months before I did and said, let me try this out. Let me see if this is going to work. Uh, she did it. She came back. She was like, you know what? Let's do it together. Yep. Right? Uh, I, I've never run a business before. And I, first of all, didn't know how to clean that well either. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> all right, what, let's do it. Uh, but it was the best decision we ever made because we did the work for the first year and a half ourselves, hands-on, learned every aspect of the business as far as the sales, the operations, the invoicing, losing a client, winning a client. Um, and then fast forward to today, we have over 250 employees. Uh, we have our own brand, you know, the franchise, we sold the franchise, sold those accounts, built our brand, Rosalato, and uh, the family dynamic is why we were able to build it. Uh, we have over like 20 family members that work there. Um, so of the 250, we got 20 blood and relatives, mm-hmm. but it's, they got our back. They're working 24 um, seven. It's given me the ability to now work on route, the, the software project, because it all stemmed from my pain points yeah. and seeing others' pain points. And I said, well, you know, there's no solutions out there that we need for the front-end sales part, first off. Yeah. Why not start there? Uh, we use technology in our business day in and day out. QuickBooks, uh, Swept, House Call Pro. There, I can go on and on how many apps I have our our operations team using. Uh, at first, a lot of pushback, right? Rick, what, you know, what the heck, man? You know, it's, I got to log in here. I got to clock in here. I got to... You know, real time, real time this. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, watch. Watch what's going to happen when we do this. And now we operate in seven states because we have a digital footprint instead of the manual process. So are these businesses linked together in any way? Or are they sort so, of separate but operationally used or whatever? Yeah, so Route was was born under the Rosalato you know, team. Yeah. Um, like uh, all of us, everybody had a, had a piece of the puzzle that they that they brought on and helped us with. Uh, but now Route is its own entity, right? Yeah. Uh, I have nine full-time employees, a CTO, a chief product officer, uh, data scientists, three full-stack engineers, an onboarding specialist, and we just hired yesterday a UX UI designer. Very cool. So, so, so tell me a little bit about the the dynamic of like how you get the people who are you know family members, and like how do you because because I, I got to think like. Your story is unique in the sense that there's like a pre-existing business and then you come in and you kind of take it over and add your sort of element and then you build another business on top of it. But I think a lot of family businesses don't have people who are willing to take those kind of chances. And it's one thing to have pre-existing employees who are like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And another to have family members who are like feel like there's like legacy involved. Yeah. How did you gather, rally the troops, if you will, and get this thing like so that you could control it. Because that to me, that's the thing that like ultimately sinks all these ships is that the person who's in charge isn't in charge. They're yeah. just in charge figuratively. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, we, we showed them how, how we rolled up our sleeves, yeah. right? We, and to this day, right? Yesterday, I just cleaned the office myself, our office, because it's, it's dirty. We don't have a staff yet, member yet doing that. But for them to walk in and see when Marley's cleaning, when I'm still cleaning, I'm going out picking up supplies sometimes, uh, on the route side, I am getting involved, 
you know, hand, rolling up the sleeves again. I think that culture, these guys have rallied behind us and we've motivated them to, to give 110% because we're doing it. So if we're doing it, why, why wouldn't you do it? And by us doing it, look what we've got to yeah. at this point. And it's because everybody has bought in. Yeah. Right? I mean, my mom left a six-figure job to work with us. I have aunts. My aunt could have took another job, but she stayed with us. Marley's uncle could be working somewhere else. But they, they all say it. Rick, we're here. This is it. That is my career. I'm here for the long run. Yeah. So to have that on the Rosalado side, it gives me a security blanket to know I have the ability to work on this passion of the, the tech product because I've always had a passion behind it. My wife knows. Yeah. I read Inc. Magazine, Fast Company every day. Um, so I only got that ability and opportunity because of the foundation we built with Rosalado. And it resonates with the route team. They see it too. Yeah. They're like, man, you know, Rick, these, everybody loves and lives by the brand. They all wear black top to bottom. Yep. They wear the logo shirts. We're big on branding. So they, it, it, it's been cool because the dynamic is in our office upstairs, mezzanine level is the route team. First floor is Rosalado. So still integrated, but yet separated. Yeah. Right. So I think like, so you, you talked about a bunch of things there that I think are interesting in particular is the fact that the opportunity, and I, I'm not. I'm not going to, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you'd be able to, or wouldn't be able to do this, the route piece of this, if you were running some other random company, you were just hired or you acquired it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like I was saying in the beginning part of this show, in my experience working with friends and in your case, family, and, and even just people who've been there a long time, the challenge ultimately is you have to take every resource you have and make it work for you times X percent. Yeah. And when you start a company and you're trying really hard to like, to just like grind out and you, you, everyone sort of hits their limit. If there's no larger picture buy-in and a lot of CEOs and you hear about this, like the Elon Musk of the world, they create a false reality, mm-hmm. right? They, they have to like tell you there's a bigger thing at play here for you right. to stick into it. Right. But in, in the family cases and the friends cases, there is, it's a legacy. You have legitimately like a right not a, I mean, nothing is given to you, but like you have a right working in this in this business with the family that your children can come up and have the first right of refusal yeah. to jump into this, mm-hmm. and that I think drives people faster and and farther. But if you mess it up, if you don't like get them to understand how to operate and like want to push themselves because of the greater legacy, you lose them. And then, like in my case, when I had friends, it was like. This is where I made a mistake, and I think you obviously did not make that mistake, is when their first few times I felt like they were reaching across the line or were like, I wanted to push further, but then I was like, well, I know that's my buddy, but like I'm, he works for me now, and it's like I don't want to like lean on that relationship to like try to drive him further, and that was a huge mistake because what ended up happening out of that is they just feel like they feel like nine to fivers, and they just leave, and there's no pushback, and it's like... Well, this is all about your journey. And everything just immediately turned into like about me. Yeah. And it was like, no, no, I, I'm like doing this. Like I get off on doing this for you. I yeah. get off on building this thing that we get to be a part of. Yeah. A lot of it do- did in that case fall on me. I was the one with the idea and the one pushing it. But like, this is for us. Yeah. And I think in your case, you were able to, to convince everyone that like, I'm taking the reins and that we're going to go where I'm going, but like, I'm only going to get where I need to go with you. Yeah. I, and that's, I mean, it's owning it, right? Yeah. Everybody owns their position at our company, right? On the Rosalado side and route, right? It's we, we mirror both cultures on both sides. But with Rosalado it was 
literally these my best friends the director of operations right another my former boss and my previous company now works with us and for us but he owns his department every department uh, we show transparency right they they know the numbers we put it up everywhere we we promote the fact that a department just brought in 10,000 in revenue they saved us let's say 1200 on the bottom line guess what we're sharing some of that savings to them yeah i mean you know you we, Marley's going to laugh, but we, I bought a basketball hoop for the floor team, right? It's in the box. I bought a basketball. I didn't inflate it. Yep. I said, close $1,000, I'll inflate it. <laughs> you know, uh, close 2500 you can open the box. Yeah. Close 5000 you could actually put the hoop up in the, in the office. Oh, so man. it's like, see, things, I, see I screwed up. I like put that. the hoop up in my office. You can't and, do it. And yeah. everyone's playing basketball. And granted, I was playing basketball too. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I, I get it. This is interesting. So, um, it's a great story, and people need to go check out GetRoute.com and check that tool out, and, and obviously Rosalato and, and everything else. Uh, you're going to hang around for the back half of the show with the startup pitches, because I think you bring a unique kind of piece to the puzzle here yeah. uh, to listen to the pitches. So we're going to take a break, come back with the news after after our break, and then in the back half of the show, we're going to have all of our uh, our founders pitching on us, and, and they don't realize that Ricky is waiting in the wings for them. <laughs> uh, a lot of heaven. So we will be back after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. Time for the Startup Showcase portion of the show. Ricky's still standing by with me. Uh, Narish Molchadani is on the phone. He's the CEO, founder of Fretch. You can check it out. I assume it's Fretch.com. If not, you should check out Republic.co slash uh, Fretch, and you can play along with us, bust your wallets out, connect everything up so you can invest right alongside of us. Uh, Narish, are you there? I am, yes. Awesome. Okay, so I think you know the drill here. We're going we're gonna to do a countdown, and then you're going to have one minute to pitch your business, and then we'll do a little bit of Q&A, and, and Ricky and I are going to ask you uh, a little bit more about your business. Sure thing. Sound good? Uh, yeah. Go for it. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Naresh. I run a company called Fretch in New York. Uh, so picture a 10-pound bag of rice. If you're South Asian like me, that 10-pound bag of rice, along with 100 other spices and, and condiments, is as essential as milk and eggs to me. But you can't really get this bag of rice in, in your neighborhood grocery stores. Um, you know, the international eyes there are, are really a joke. And no one's really delivering this kind of stuff. You know, your Amazons and Walmarts are not delivering this. So this problem of high dependence on ethnic food, yet poor access, is one that's shared by many, many ethnicities, whether you're Indian or you're Chinese or, or Filipino or so you're Middle Eastern or you're South American. Uh, this, this is a problem that's shared across the board. And we're talking about 25% of the U.S. population or 81 million diverse people buying ethnic groceries worth over $100 billion every year. French delivers ethnic groceries right to your doorstep. We've delivered over 25,000 orders so far, and we're growing organically. We're uh, doing over a million dollars in annual revenue run rate right now, and uh, we're highly scalable. And, and last bit, uh, if I could add, is that we're profitable. Very cool. All right, so here's the deal. I mean, I, I look at this, and it, you know, Ricky, I think, can even speak better you know, than me to this. And I, I, I think you've got a real problem that you're solving for, to be totally honest. I mean, we, not just we, like as in millennials and we in the tech community, but we as Americans, I think, tend to zero in on our Instagram feed, and that's like all we see, and we don't really think about it, like Grubhub, like, oh, Grubhub solves this problem, or click at Mariano's, like it solves the problem. Obviously, it works. Um, but I don't think we think of other people in the community who are from different backgrounds who have different needs for food, and they don't, you know, culturally, maybe they don't just 
order pre-cooked food. They they actually enjoy the art of cooking as a family and feeding as a family. So I think it's a huge, huge opportunity. And you mentioned before, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but you have 25,000 orders delivered over 5,000 unique customers, 70% repeat customer weight, which means obviously uh, people are coming back, which is great. Ricky, right. do you have any, yeah. any, any questions in particular to Narish about this? Uh, Narish, so... You know, it was only a quick minute, so I just, how does the, the distribution or the supplier side of, are you de- delivering it to the actual consumer or the small markets? Uh, no, yeah, we are delivering it right to the cost- to the customers, so we're, we're uh, delivering it to their households. Um, and uh, we have a warehouse and a distribution network that uh, we work with, and, uh, you know, we, we store the goods in our warehouse, package them, and deliver them uh, to, to, you know, right to their doorstep. So one thing that kind of caught my eye about this pitch was, and if you could fill in the blanks here, I don't think most people, particularly those listening who might be considering this as an investment, I don't think they understand how the marketplace actually operates. Like I'm used to going to Trader Joe's or whatever and and getting my poison there and and cooking all of my things or whatever it is. I don't go to marketplaces. I I used to work in commercial real estate and we had uh, an Asian grocery that that we put in there. and, And I was totally confounded by like, how they actually filled the store, like what the times of delivery, especially if it's like very seafood heavy, was like really early in the morning. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of weird things that go on. Walk us through how this solves that problem, whereas maybe you know other people don't understand that. Right. So I mean, there there are logistics on our end that we have to work with. You know, in terms of uh, you know what time the drivers get out, what time the the drivers you know get to the customers, and so on. But you know, ultimately, what you're trying to solve for is you know, uh, absence of time or lack of time, you know, where you have a busy family, you have kids going to school, uh, and, you know, have a working, uh, you know, husband and wife, they don't really have time to, to go, you know, outside of their, uh, of, of the city locations, you know, just to get their own ethnic foods, uh, you know, uh, so I, I am from India, so, you know, we cook, we really depend on, on cooking our own, you know, ethnic food, so, uh, but the problem was that, you know, when I moved to Manhattan, we had to travel at least an hour one way just to get our ethnic goods and you know that really was a personal problem that i was trying to solve that's and that's you know that's that's, 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 that's the thing that we're trying to solve here yeah that, that's the thing that's really interesting to me is like that i know this from just like random times that like my family would want to cook different kinds of food whether it's polish food or whatever it was we would always have to drive to like skokie or like mm-hmm. a ways away from where i was there wasn't a place that i could just go to the store and get it you know you got to go to italian town or greek town or chinatown to get these things it's not centrally located. So if you just look at the, the sheer like demographic makeup of any major city, like you talk about New York, obviously, but Chicago or wherever, I think that most people who would be your customer don't live right there next to wherever like their town is that they'd be able to get all this stuff. So I, I got to think you've got a gigantic market that you can serve. Right. Yeah, we think so too. I mean, so as I mentioned, it's you know we're talking twenty five percent of the U.S. population that you know that we consider as ethnic or associates with an ethnicity, and you know the the grocery the grocery store sales in the U.S. in the last year was about six hundred forty billion dollars. And if you look at just you know ten to fifteen percent, which you know our estimate is, that's a hundred billion dollar market size that you know that we're looking at. So, so I mean, it, cool. it's like we all want instant gratification. Yes. You know. So, Farish is is the is the capa- the capacity as far as turnaround time on what a customer would expect? And I'm saying this because I know with Instacart, we've been experiencing now. You know, you, you try to order your food first thing in the morning. Sometimes they they don't have the capacity to deliver until the next day. 
I mean, how was that experience with you guys? Right. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a little uh, you know fine line that you kind of have to walk. Uh, you know, of course, customers expect instant gratification. They expect two-hour deliveries. That's not always possible. But you know, if it if it is to be possible, then it comes with a cost. You know, the higher cost, a driver you know driving you know half hour just to get to one customer. Uh, so there is cost associated with it, which is of course going to come from the customer's pocket. Or they would be willing to you know maybe work with the cost, lower the cost. You know, agree to a slightly delayed delivery and you know it's, it's the customer's option we provide you know those options and you know it's up to the customer to pick what they like so i want to i want to end on this one it's ricky brought up kind of a good point when he mentioned instacart so i i look at this market in particular and i think like you have but you know you could look at it competitively but you could also look at it as like a huge opportunity in the sense that there are you know like amazon obviously is crushing and putting a lot of pressure on the instacarts of the world and so there's this like trouble that perhaps you run into on that side but in all reality you're so niche and it's so unique and the user base is not the same. They don't have the same user behaviors as the general, you know, general pop, if you want to call it that. And I wonder, are you looking at this as something that either becomes, you grow this into like an ethnic Instacart, literally, or is it something you're looking at? Like I can roll this into an acquisition and that like Amazon or any of these other ones could acquire you. And in doing so put immense pressure on the Instacarts of the world because of the reality that you represent 25% big. of their market. That's insane. Like, I, I got to think you're looking at that thinking that there's there's a move here. Right. I mean, there's, there's many, many exit opportunities here, but, you know, the way we're looking at it is that because we're niche, uh, we've kind of made all of these guys into indirect competition rather than direct competition. And yeah. so that gives us a little room, a little breathing room, so we can grow to a, a substantial size, you know, get to multiple markets uh, before they start thinking, I guess. And, you know... Uh, Add as a complimentary piece to any of their services, you I, know, be it I totally agree. Amazon, be it Walmart, so on. You know, very cool. I, I love this. I really do. I, I like this a lot. Uh, people should go and check it out. Republic.co backslash uh, fetch. Uh, I'm sorry, fretch. And um, you know, thank you so much for calling in. I, I best of luck to you. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Okay, take care. All right, all right. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break here, and we will come back with our, our next pitch, uh, which is equally as exciting if you're into gaming. I'm not sure if that's your thing, but I don't know if you have time for that. But oh. for some of us who do, I yeah. don't really either, but I'm interested in either way. <laughs> we will be back right after this. Okay, we are back on the Startup Showcase, the final pitch coming up here. Hunt, uh, Wilson Hunter is on. It's Cardboard Live. You can check them out on republic.co um, and make your investment. Obviously, connect if, uh, if you're so inclined. Follow along with it. Ricky is still sitting next to me, and uh, we've got Wilson on the line. Wilson, are you there? Hello, yes, thanks for having me. Excellent. Uh, okay, so you've been prepped, I assume. You know that you've got one minute to uh, give the pitch of what we're looking for here is the problem you're solving for, how you solve it, and how you make money. Sound good? Awesome. Well, let's do it. All you. <laughs> All right, so we are building a platform for interactive live streaming of tabletop games such as Magic the Gathering or Settlers of Catan, just to name a couple. Right now, there are about 200 million people worldwide who enjoy playing tabletop games, and many of those people also enjoy watching the games. Unfortunately, it can be difficult to see rules of cards or game pieces on the screen because the images are small or blurry, and there's also a lot of hidden information, such as the decks the players are playing or even the player stats. Um, We're solving these problems using image recognition and interactivity that allow the viewer of the stream to hover over cards or game pieces and access previously hidden information with on-screen pop-out buttons. Uh, The most exciting part of this is that viewers are also able to purchase products live through the stream. So the streamer uh, makes commissions on the product sale, 
which incentivizes streamers to produce more content for the viewers and fans to consume. Uh, this is also how we make the money. <laughs> um, so we're excited to share this opportunity on Republic, and our campaign only has one more day left, so there isn't much time for people who want to get involved. Got to do it now. Okay, so there's obviously a huge market here. Um, I don't think that's a secret to anyone. If you have kids, you probably watch them play video games nonstop. But there's another bigger thing at play, at least to my mind. And we talk about this on the podcast a lot. We also talk about it just in the office in general with a lot of younger folks on my team. And it's the the changing of the guard of like who the content producers are. So, like, in the past, even if you look at these stupid shows like Temptation Island and things, like, it's the same garbage. It's just, like, people with a backdrop of mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, it, it doesn't change. It's just different face, same backdrop. Gaming and streaming of things, to me, is unique because a person could become a character within it and, like, they can could constantly produce new content that's unique and engaging. And in doing so, they're drawing millions and millions, if not billions, worldwide of, of viewers who don't pay for it, but they pay for stuff in it. And that's to me, is the that's part right. that you're taking advantage of, which is, is monumentally unique because for whatever reason, all these media companies have been sitting around watching this, have just like completely missed, like, well, where do we put an ad? And it's like, no, dude, you could like literally sell the con, you could sell whatever you want right inside of it. Mm-hmm. How I want to know, like, why, right. why, slash, how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so I should play the game Magic the Gathering professionally. Um, nice. So it's definitely something that I wanted as a fan and uh, you know a viewer of game streaming. Um, how long have you been at this? So we've been at this for about a year now. Um, I've played Magic professionally for over ten years, um, but the last six months is really when we've uh, we hit the ground running hard with the product. So our product so far has seven hundred channels using it, and we have about a hundred thousand monthly active viewers. Very cool. And and financially, can you walk us through that model just a little bit for the person's listening? Yeah, totally. Um, as far as like uh, how we would make the business model and all yeah, that. Well, okay, I mean, so, it's like, yeah, it's like uh, a business model, but also like the extended yeah, revenue so since, streams that you can bring I'm in. I'm sorry? Uh, it's, it's the business model, but it's also sort of like the, the, the potential additional revenue streams that can be brought in because of this. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so uh, three revenue streams we're targeting are, you know, traditional ads, uh, pre-roll video ads, all that. We're sharing that revenue with the streamer. Subscriptions. This model, the subscription freemium model, has proved hugely successful on a platform called Twitch. Fifty yep. percent uh, of their users actually choose to subscribe to content, which is obviously an insane subscription rate. Um, and then the fee on the sales is is the big one that is new uh, that we're also doing. So those are the, the three main revenue streams we're targeting. What are some of the items and things that that are being sold? Just to give an idea to the listener, what like what is being sold on on the stream? Yeah. Yeah. So let's specifically talk about the game we're focused on right now, which is Magic the Gathering. It is a collectible trading card game, which means that when you watch somebody playing the game, they, they built their deck and they brought it to an event. And many times people are watching them play this very specific deck at a tournament, and it makes the viewer want to play that exact strategy, maybe with their friends, or if they go to an event, they want to play that as well. So the viewer is incentivized to actually purchase individual cards that are part of the larger game through the stream. This is so interesting to me because it reminds me of a couple of years ago, there was this like, kind of, you probably remember this, it was this kind of like re- movement around make your own content so you could watch stuff on Netflix and click on a button on the screen and you could like play a different alternative ending. And it didn't really yep. work because people, like it's just not, it's just not feasible to like do a great job of it and seamlessly because of the production things. But in what you're looking at, I think this is like the the next wave 
of how, for the next dozen years plus, of how we interact with our content. Like, you're literally a part of this. You can choose to, to play your own route and buy your own stuff. And, like, you know, in the video game world, you can have different skins and you can do whatever you want and just buy it in real time, which is, to me, an incredible opportunity to make people... And this is what Twitch is. Obviously, you mentioned the ridiculous subscription rate. It has a lot to do with the stickiness of, like, I can make this my own, and anyone will pay. I mean, look at all the idiots out there with their personalized plates like me. Like, I'm willing to pay <laughs> so someone sees me like that. This is a very cool idea. Where do people go to learn more about it? Yeah, so you can visit our Republic page, uh, republic.co, backslash cardboard-live. You can also go to cardboard.live, and that's our website. We talk all about it. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, Wilson, thank you so much. Best of luck to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. Okay, Ricky. So you got to listen to a couple pitches. Um, maybe this is foreshadowing of you coming back on the show pitching. We'll yeah. see. Um, what are what are your thoughts? I mean, it's not just individually about the companies, but just like the uniqueness of the types of companies that are coming up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a gamer, so this Wilson's, you know, th- that that whole concept. I, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it yeah. right now. Uh, but the fact that, that people can make a living playing a game while you're cleaning, that's cleaning crazy. and working your butt off. Yeah. Like, but hey, that, that's a profession, right? It you is. Know, if people want to follow one. you and, and and see how how great your strategy and the way you think about that game is, then hey, all for it. It's you know this is so like, it's so funny and a random random rant here. Um, I did not get it. Like at first, people not I mean this comedy, but like, like the gaming thing, like. We have a couple of people on our team who are literally like, oh, they watch it all day, probably too much at the office. And I'm like, well, you're watching someone play video games. What are you yeah. doing? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to buckle in and watch for a minute and try to see if I can figure this out. And you kind of hit on it with the like, you get to watch strategy. And that's like part of it if you're really into the gaming thing. Like, I'm watching, like, you would watch entrepreneurs talk through their business model. Like, all day. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like that part I get, but that, like you and I, that's a very niche part of the audience. So I was like, what? How do I get billions of people in? And what dawned on me was that ability for streaming just, I mean, every day, if you go on Twitch, every single thing you watch, they don't have reruns. Like on Instagram, you might see someone like show like a 10-second clip where they completely destroyed someone. That's the equivalent of a rerun. They don't need it because every day a million people are producing a million hours of brand new content, and it's interesting in its own rights. Like you're watching, there's like people like, you know, if you're a soccer fan, so like, Imagine being a person who is not capable of being Ronaldo, yeah. right? But I can play Ronaldo in a game and do stuff even Ronaldo can't do. Yeah. And do that to my friends, and my friends and your friends and their friends and everyone else watching get to watch this whole thing. And along the way, I can make the fake, the, the pretend Ronaldo myself by buying in-game stuff that gives me my own jersey and my own logo and my own like yeah. special skill and like all this stuff. You become the content. So, like, legitimately, yeah. if you were a soccer fan, Ricky, and you wanted to become Ronaldo on the game and play all your buddies in the one minute of spare time you have, yeah. you could you could be all you. Yeah, and like that becomes something that is played, streamed to a billion people worldwide. I mean, I could I could attest to 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 the gaming aspect because it actually brings a lot to the the business side, right? So yeah. For in my case with Route, three of the team members are gamers. And they brought gamification to the app yep. from learning it in the strategies in the game games that they were creating and playing. You know, we're we're doing badges. Yeah, you know, we're doing reward incentives in the app. I'd never thought like of that. inflating a basketball and making yeah. you make a bunch of money. Yeah, right? <laughs> if you if you make us five thousand bucks at, at, at Ricky's place, you can you can inflate a basketball, <laughs> yeah. and eventually, after a million dollar threshold, you can dunk that basketball. Yep. 
the or you can just go home and play a video game and, and do it on your own. You can do it on your own. Yeah. Whatever you're into, but you will have a lot less money in your pocket. Uh, Ricky, I appreciate you spending the time with us today. Um, best of luck to you guys, obviously. I think what you're doing is incredible, and I love the story of of how you take a legacy business and you turn it into a, a bigger, better thing. Um, and I hope to have you back on again and talk more about Get Route. Uh, for all of you listening, obviously, GetRoute.com. Yes. Learn more about it. Uh, Republic.co backslash both of those companies, uh, not literally. Uh, and you can scroll and you can invest and learn more about it. If you're not investing in startup companies now, uh, I don't know what you're doing because that's the yeah. next wave of entrepreneurs. That's that's that's, that's where the, the money's going to be. So check it out. Uh, we will take another break here. We will come back with Dane Neal, and then we will go to the news.